Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the ministers here at PCC, and we have the kids in the room today with us, and I'm super excited for that. Welcome, 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 kids. Um, uh, parents, by the way, also, in case any of you are worried that this might be the longest hour of your life, don't worry. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. It's all good if we got a little noise in here. Nobody's worried about it, all right? Um, also, kids, I got a job for you today. Before we jump in, can y'all help me with something? Okay, I'm up here every week, and I see your parents. We're in this room together in the big room every week worshiping, and here's the deal. I can see your parents from up here, and a lot of the time I think they think that I can't see them, but I can see sometimes they're a little fidgety. Sometimes they squirm a little bit. So kids, can y'all help me make sure your parents pay attention in the sermon today? You think you can do that for me? All right, all right, I knew I could count on you. Thank you, thank you, here we go, okay. Well, as you guys know, whether you're a kid or you're an adult, every now and then when you read the Bible, you come across something that Jesus says or promises, and it's just absolutely astonishing. And we have one of those today, because we're spending this whole year reading through the writings of a guy named John, who is one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And as he's writing these stories of the life of Jesus, John refers to himself as, the one Jesus loved. And so we're calling this a year with Jesus's best friend. And over the last few weeks, John has kind of let us in on a really intimate conversation that Jesus has with his disciples on the night before he died. It's in John chapters 13 through 17, and they're all gathered around this table at the Last Supper. These are some of Jesus's final moments before the cross, and Jesus says something astounding. Here it is, John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now that's amazing because we need to pause right here and remember, think about the works that we have seen Jesus doing just so far in the gospel of John. We've seen Jesus turn water into wine, He's healed a royal official's son. He gave a crippled man walking legs after he'd been lame for 38 years. Jesus has fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He's walked on water. He's healed a blind man and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And now Jesus has the audacity to say that us, those of us who believe in him, will do the works that he's been doing. And not only that, look at else what Jesus says. He says, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus is saying here, hey, everything that you've been seeing me do, I'm gonna do it again. And you who believe, you who pray, I'm going to do it again through you. And that's amazing. And the good news is that Jesus has not left us alone to figure out how to do this on our own. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And so everything that we read about Jesus doing in the Gospels, he's continuing to do today through us, his people, empowered by his Spirit. Look at what he says right after this in verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Say advocate. To help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
So if you are a follower of Jesus today, that means that you've sworn allegiance to him, you've been baptized into him, and now he lives in you through his Holy Spirit, whom he calls here in verse 16, the advocate. Say that word again, say advocate. Very good, very good. And other translations, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, might say the helper or the comforter or the counselor, but we're gonna go real deep. You're getting your money's worth today. Here we go, buckle up. We're getting into the Greek, y'all ready? Okay, the Greek term here for the Holy Spirit is the term paraclete. Say paraclete. And that comes from the combination of two Greek words. First is the verb kaleo, meaning to call. And then there's the prefix para, which means alongside. So paraclete, parakaleo, means one who is called alongside, like a legal assistant in court or like a partner in battle who's got your back. Uh, When I was a kid, I grew up watching the game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with my parents. Anybody else watch that? And y'all remember that when they got stumped on a question, they could phone a friend, right? It's the same thing. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's one who's called alongside to help you. So we're calling the sermon today, The Helper, The Helper. And here's why that's good news for you this morning. Because as I talk to a lot of you, and even as I look in my own heart, I think a lot of us are just tired. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's nice, summer's started and things are opening back up and the weather is good, but we'd be foolish to think that the residual effects of the last 15 months have not had an effect on us. And I think a lot of us are just worn out by it all. I actually read something enlightening this week. Take a look at what one source said in 2018 about our emotional well-being. said this, employee burnout is on the rise globally with the World Health Organization predicting a global pandemic within the next decade. Competing for market share in our global economy requires more hours of harder work with the same pay. What makes it worse is that our smartphones and communication devices have opened the door to work and the associated stress to follow us home, taking hostage what once was our place of rest and refreshing. And that was written in 2018. Reads like a prophecy, doesn't it? Man, And now the pandemic has just absolutely blurred the lines between what's work and and, and what's home. And our relationships have been stress tested and all these volatile societal issues are taking their emotional toll on us. And your faith has been placed in the crucible of solitude and the to-do list just keeps on getting longer and longer. Is anybody else just tired? (laughs) A couple weeks ago, our discipleship minister, Kyle Nelson, walked our staff through this uh, diagram that he drew Uh, in our staff meeting, and I found it really refreshing for my soul, so I wanna share it with you this morning. And this diagram came about initially when there was a psychiatrist and a theologian who set out to study why so many of these missionaries who were in India were falling off the mission field. And this was was very confusing to them because... um, Uh, Hold on, guys. I cannot write and talk at the same time. Okay, here we go. Uh, This was really confusing to them because these missionaries, they were called by God, they were well-trained, they were well-supported, and yet, after just a few months on the mission field, they were beginning to show signs of depression and disillusionment and emotional and spiritual burnout. And so this psychiatrist and this theologian set out to figure out why in the world this was happening because these were the people of Jesus and doing the work of Jesus. And yet, and yet... They were showing signs of relational and emotional trauma that Jesus himself never experienced. So what's going on? So this psychiatrist and the theologian began to look at the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus calls up to live, calls us to live, and they came up with this cycle. And there's four parts of this cycle. Acceptance, sustenance, significance, and achievement. And here's what they found. They found that these missionaries were starting 
with achievement and trying to work their way towards acceptance. That they were saying, oh, if I could just do enough, if I could just achieve enough, if I could just earn enough, then maybe, maybe I'll be significant. And if I can maintain this level of achievement and significance, if I can sustain it for a long enough time, then perhaps, perhaps I'll be worthy of acceptance and somebody will see me and know me and I'll be worthy and I'll be in and I'll be good and I'll have peace. And of course, they found that this just leads to burnout because you can never do enough. And they call this the cycle of works. And if you're tired today, I don't know, perhaps you're stuck in this cycle. Because here's the thing about the cycle of works. When your acceptance is based on your achievement, then your achievements will become an idol for you. If your identity is rooted in what you do, then what you do can never be taken away from you or else the very core of who you are will be shaken. And so, for example, this is why retirement can be really, really hard for some people. Or it's really hard for people when, when their kids leave the house because their achievement is yanked out from under them and they don't even know who they are anymore. You see, when, when your identity is found in your achievement, then you will find yourself crushed by failure, paralyzed by indecision, scared of change, easily thrown off by unforeseen circumstances. You will stay up too late and get up too early and drink too much caffeine and be too shaken by criticism and be too anxious about the future and too stressed about the present and too burdened by the past. My friends, listen, this is a burden that you were never meant to carry. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody else want some rest for your soul today? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, make no mistake, Jesus has work for you to do. We read it in John 14, greater works than these. He has big things for you to do, but it's easy work because the work that Jesus has for you doesn't have to take place in the cycle of works. It takes place in the cycle of grace. And in the cycle of grace, everything begins with acceptance. So we're gonna start by talking about acceptance today, and honestly, that's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time because acceptance, this is the key to the whole thing. And we see this in the life of Jesus, this acceptance, that everything in Jesus' ministry was based out of the fact that he was so secure in his acceptance by God. Before Jesus ever did a miracle or preached a sermon, God pronounced his acceptance of him. You might remember this story. It's from when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter three. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God's acceptance of him was pronounced over him, and it was that acceptance that fueled Jesus' ministry from there on out. In fact, you might remember that right after this happened, after Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the desert, and he's tempted by the devil. And how does the devil tempt him? By trying to get him to doubt God's acceptance of him, by getting him to question his identity. Matthew chapter four says, the tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The devil's saying, hey, prove that God loves you. Earn his affection. But Jesus doesn't bite. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, hey, buddy, 
I don't have to prove or earn anything. God has pronounced already his acceptance of me and I'm gonna choose to trust him. He knew God's love for him. And I think that's what Jesus wants for you today. I think he wants you to know God's love for you. The apostle Paul prayed something like that for one of the ancient churches in Ephesians chapter three. And this has been my prayer for you in the writing of this sermon. Paul says this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Wait, what's the power for? together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to know how much God loves you. Perhaps the greatest theologian of the 20th century was a man by the name of Karl Barth. And one time, Karl Barth was asked what the most incredible thing he'd learned was. In all his years of study and the countless thousands of pages that he had read and written, what's the most incredible thing you've learned? And Karl Barth said, the most amazing thing of all was this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it is amazing when you think about it. Because, I mean, the way I have lived, the way we have lived... I mean, God should just blow us off the face of the planet. Jesus should hate my stinking guts. But he doesn't. Jesus loves you. This we know, for the Bible tells us so, as proven once and for all in his death on your behalf. I heard a story of some of our persecuted brothers and sisters in China. And one time there was a a Christian who was sending a message to a fellow Christian about how their church was doing and how this gathering of underground believers was doing, except they had to write the message in code so that the people wouldn't know what they're talking about. And the Christian wrote this. She said, the this I know people are doing well. I love that. That they were people so firmly rooted in the fact that Jesus loved them that they went by the this I know people. Are you a this I know person? Oh man, I love that. Kids, we're glad you're here with us in the room today and and we want you to be here. And I hope you know that our prayer for you is that you would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man all the time. We want you to grow every day in your love for him, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I hope you learn today watching these people worship, watching your parents and their friends worship. There are people in this room who've been worshiping and following Jesus for longer than you've been alive. And I learned from them and I hope you do too. But I hope you know, kids, we're not just here so you can learn from us. We're here to learn from you. Because can I let you in on a little secret. Uh, Being a grown-up ain't all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) And uh, pretty much everything we ever needed to know in life, we learned when we were your age. And and, and part of it is just that Jesus loves us. And and so I don't don't know where you are today, but I know that for a lot of us, um, it's easy to believe. Yeah, Jesus loves the world for God to love the world. And and yeah, Jesus loves you. and, And it's easy to believe that Jesus loves other people. And it's a lot harder sometimes to believe that Jesus loves me. Because I know me. And I know my regrets and my guilt and my shame, and you know yours, and sometimes it's really hard to believe that Jesus could love you. So here's what we're gonna do. Kids, can you help us? We're gonna sing a song, and I want you to sing this song to yourself as an act of worship to God. Here we go, let's do it together. I think y'all know it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
the Bible tells me so. Hey, listen, you sing that song every, every day to yourself if that's what you gotta do. Jesus loves you. And I hope you know also that this, this cycle of grace applies to those of us who are Christians. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you're not living in obedience to him, he does still love you, but you are also still under his wrath. And so we want you to be able to live in the confidence of knowing that you've been accepted by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism card. We would love to walk with you to the cross because when you become a follower of Jesus, what is true of him becomes true of you. And that means that for those of you who are Christians today, God's saying the same thing to you that he said to Jesus. You are his child whom he loves and with you he is well pleased. So are you a this I know person? that you can go through every second of your day, the good, the bad, the high, and the low, and say, Jesus loves me, this I know. That you've been accepted by God through his son, Jesus Christ, just as you are. Uh, My wife, Rebecca, and I, we have three little boys. And the cool thing about them still being young is that they don't realize yet how uncool I am. And so they still like to hang out with me. It's it's fun. They're gonna grow out of it someday, but they haven't yet. And so I'm digging it. Because I got these three little buddies that just tag along, and it's a blast. And I try to remind my kids all the time as an expression of my love. And I tell them, hey, man, I'm glad you're my son. And I'm glad you're my friend. Because they're my friends right now. I don't know if they will be forever, but I'm, I'm loving it right now. And I think that's what Jesus wants to say to you today. Two things in these chapters, John 14 and 15, that you are God's child and you are God's friend. First thing is, if you are in Christ, then you are God's child. He sent his son to the world so that you could be adopted into his family. We sang it earlier. And now part of the Holy Spirit's role in your life as he lives in you is just to remind you that you're a child of God when you start to doubt it. Romans chapter eight says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here it is. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. On the times when you start to doubt it and you don't think you're worthy of it, part of the Holy Spirit's job is just to remind you that you are loved as a child of God. Our third little boy, his name is Wesley. And we named him after John Wesley, who was a preacher in England in the 1700s. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. And and through the the preaching and the prayer and the life of John Wesley, uh, God brought great revival to that continent and to this one. And John Wesley talked about how there's two kinds of faith in Jesus. Uh, One is more mature than the other. He called it the faith of a servant versus the faith of a son. And the faith of a servant basically says, okay, yeah, I, I believe God exists and I, I believe in him and he's in charge, so I guess I'm, I gotta do what he says. He's the boss, and that's good. But even better is the faith, faith of a son or daughter that says, wow, God loves me so much that he has adopted me into his family and I'm so grateful that I just can't wait to do whatever will make his heart happy. And that's the kind of faith that springs from knowing that you've been accepted by God as his child through his son, Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to know is that if you're in Christ, you are God's friend. You're his child and you're his friend. Jesus says this in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now catch this. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You are a friend of God. And that's amazing, because in the whole Old Testament, only two people are ever called friends of God, Moses and Abraham. And they were called God's friends because they had an unusual level of access to him. But now, if you follow Jesus and his Holy Spirit is living in you, you have access to him whenever you want. You are his friend. 
Now think about this. You guys have friends, right? One of my best friends is a guy named Monty. And to be totally honest, if I see like a random phone number pop up on my phone, a lot of the time I'm not gonna answer it. (laughs) But if I see Monty's number pop up, I'll answer. And if I'm really wrestling with something, if I'm going through a hard time, I'm not gonna shout it from the rooftops. Most people aren't gonna know about it. But I'll tell Monty because he's my friend. And you are Jesus's friend. That means you get to know what's on his heart, that he's gonna know what's on your heart. He's gonna take your calls. You get refrigerator rights at his house. You get access. Ah, how cool is that? You you remember the, the apostle John is the guy who's writing this and he was Jesus's best earthly friend. You remember what John calls himself? The one Jesus loved. Now think about that. John could have called himself lots of things. He could have called himself the, the top dog disciple or you know, the, the, the writer of scripture, the, the, the leader of the early church, the doer of miracles. No, 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 but he didn't do that. John chose to ground his identity, not in his achievement, but in his acceptance. He said, hey, I'm John. I'm one that Jesus loves. I mean, can you say that? Hey, I'm, I'm Kylie. I'm one Jesus loves. Hey, I'm, I'm Austin, I'm, I'm one that Jesus loves. Hi, my name is Luke, and I'm one that Jesus loves. Can you say that? Are you a this I know person? Do you know deeply inside the very guts of your soul as a foundation for your life that you've been adopted as God's child and that you are loved as his friend? Because Jesus says in John 15, verse nine, that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's acceptance. Now, don't freak out. We'll go through the next three a lot more quickly, okay? Here we go, okay. Acceptance then leads to sustenance. These are like the things that we do to maintain our spiritual well-being. It's like the fuel gauge in your car. There are some of you who never let your tank get below half full. You're like the Boy Scouts, always prepared. I'm not one of you, but I admire you. You guys, you guys got it going on, well done. There are others of you, like my wife, who've been running on empty and your little light's been on for like 15 miles and you're driving past perfectly good gas stations because you're looking for one that's two cents cheaper. I don't get it. (laughs) But you know, I think that's part of why the pandemic has been so damaging for us is that we've been doing that with our souls. Because your soul doesn't have like a literal, visible, tangible gauge on it to tell you when you're running on empty. And yet there are signs, and I think we've seen them this year. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. Like things start to bother you more than they should you find yourself with less patience and and more anxiety, or you have a hard time making decisions, or your cravings are a little more intense to to eat or drink or spend or act out. And, And those are symptoms of a soul that is running on empty. And listen, although Jesus was constantly pouring himself out, he never let himself run out of gas. He was constantly filling his tank through intentional habits of things like getting alone to pray and gathering for corporate worship and hanging out with friends and memorizing scripture and going on long walks and playing with little kids and going to a good party and having spiritual conversations with people. It's so important that we're engaging in these types of practices. They're called spiritual disciplines because they allow the Holy Spirit, the helper, to have the room in our lives to sustain our souls. And that's part of why the pandemic was so destructive is that it yanked those life-giving habits right out from under us. And that's also why, if you're watching online right now, it's so important, we're thankful that you're tuned in, but it's so important that you're gathering here in person for worship because this is sustenance for your soul. So we move from acceptance to sustenance, then to significance. Guys, I'm sorry my handwriting's terrible. Kids, work hard in school so you don't end up like me. But if you can read this, if you can read this, you'll see that in that word significance is the word sign, 
That's because your life was made to be a sign pointing to something bigger than yourself, namely to God himself. And your significance comes in not what you do, but in who you are through your acceptance in God's eyes. Now, we've seen this again in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John, those seven I am statements. Notice Jesus didn't give us seven I do statements. Jesus said, I am. He says, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the gate for the sheep, and I am the good shepherd, and I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And it was that understanding of the significance of his identity grounded in his acceptance from God the Father and his sustenance from God the Spirit. It is those things then that finally fueled his achievement. And it's the same thing that's true for us. The story is told of young Victoria in England when she was just 10 years old. She was studying the royal lineage and she found out who she was. She discovered her identity, that she was in line for the throne. And when she found out that she was a queen in waiting, it's said that Victoria paused for a moment and she said, then I will be good. She got her significance from her identity, her acceptance, and then that drove her actions. Same thing for us. Your significance comes from who Jesus says you are, and here's who Jesus says you are, church. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. You are hagias, holy ones, saints, You are the bride of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And listen to me, church, that that is your significance and you will be good because he who is good has made you good. And out of that, out of God's acceptance and the sustenance through the spirit and the significance of who he says you are, out of all of that, then finally, Jesus moved to the achievement. And boy, oh boy, did Jesus achieve some stuff, right? Well, like, you, you know, out of this, he, he, he preached and he traveled and he healed and he taught and he recruited and he befriended and he trained and he confronted and he died and he rose again and he launched the greatest movement in human history. And now in the same way, this love of God that has flowed to us now flows through us to those around us. Here's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we gotta know how he has loved us and then we love each other. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So as we live, we go through this cycle, being filled up with God's love as shown in the life of the Son, poured out through the Holy Spirit. And then there are days when we're just empty and we know it. And so we come back and we are filled up again and we continue to go around and around and around and we find our ultimate joy, not in our achievement, but in our acceptance in the eyes of God through the death of his Son on our behalf. And so we're back here at this astounding promise that we started with that those who believe in Jesus will do greater things than these. You know, right after Jesus made that promise, he was arrested and he was crucified and he died and he was buried. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And then as Jesus prepared to ascend back into heaven in Acts chapter one, the time had finally come for his followers to fulfill that promise, to take over, to do greater things than these. 
And as Jesus is giving them instructions for how to do greater things than these, you know what he does not say? He does not say, go achieve, build buildings, train volunteers, write books, win debates. He says, wait. Wait here till the helper comes. And so his followers take him at his word and they get together and they wait. And they must have remembered what Jesus said here at the Last Supper, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, because they start praying. And all of a sudden, as they wait and as they pray, a mighty wind blows and the Holy Spirit, the helper, comes and fills them and they are transformed and a movement launches and lives are changed and the gospel is declared and thousands upon thousands of people become adopted into God's family as his children. Greater things than these because God's people prayed. Stories told in the 1940s of a theology professor by the name of Dr. Orr who took a group of his ministry students to England on a tour. And one of the stops on their tour was the Epworth Rectory, where John Wesley was from. And so the students went in to tour the home, and they went into the kitchen where John Wesley ate, and they went to the study where John Wesley had you know, kept his books and written his sermons and his letters and things. And then they went upstairs to some of the more intimate spaces in the house. And all the students crowded into John Wesley's tiny little bedroom and all of a sudden, one, one of the students noted that, that there were these deep worn impressions in the carpet fibers, two of them right next to the bed. And it was said that there, right there, is where John Wesley would get down on his knees every morning and every evening, not just for a few minutes, but for hours, begging God to bring revival to that continent and this one. And it was there as he pleaded with God to move, as he begged for the helper to come bring a movement of renewal among God's people, that he prayed so hard that the floor was worn thin. And God was true to his promise. Through the prayer and the preaching of John Wesley and others, a spirit-led movement known as the Great Awakening swept across Europe and North America and entire nations that had fallen prey to apathy and secularism woke up and people were repenting of their sins and they were falling on God's grace by the thousands and it started when a small group of people like John Wesley got on their knees and they begged the helper to do his work. Greater things than these. Well, the group of students got done with their tour and got back on the bus and Professor Orr took a head count and he noticed that there was one student missing. So he got back off the bus and went back in the house and student wasn't in the kitchen, wasn't in the study. As Professor Orr went upstairs, he saw there in the bedroom, across the bed, just, just the head and the shoulders of a student who had planted himself in those impressions on the floor. And as Dr. Orr got closer, he could hear the student whisper, would you do it again, Lord? Do it again. Lord, would you do it again? And Dr. Orr went over and put his hand on the student's shoulder. He said, it's time to go. And so young Billy Graham stood up and went and joined the other students back on the bus. And then God did it again. And I wonder today if maybe, just maybe, God is looking for a group of people who are willing to take him at his word who are so deeply grounded in knowing that they are loved by their Father in heaven and his acceptance of him through his son, Jesus Christ, that they are willing to boldly come before his throne and beg for the helper to do his work. Greater things than these. Let's pray. Lord, would you do it again? 
Because Father, we are, we are not content. We are not content with just coming to church and being a group of nice people with a group of, with a verse a day to keep the devil away. We are not content with that. We want more, Lord. We want you to do it again. We've seen in your word what the helper you promised can do. We believe that these stories are true. We have seen your people empowered by your spirit, bringing healing to the sick and community to the outcast and revival to the stagnant and conviction to the proud and comfort to the afflicted and salvation to the lost. And we believe these things are true. So would you do it again? You've told us, Jesus, here that whatever, whatever we ask in your name, meaning in line with your will and step with your spirit and keeping with your character and in boldness through the achievement of your death and your resurrection, whatever we ask in your name, you've said you're gonna do it. So would you do it again? Would you do it again in us, Lord? Would you give us the courage to speak on your behalf? Would you give us the compassion to be your hands and your feet to the hurting? Would you fill us up with such deep acceptance of knowing that we are loved as your children and your friends, such sustenance through your spirit, such significance that we would just overflow in love to everyone we'd meet? Lord, would you do it again? Father, Son, and Spirit, we trust you with this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.